We're going to dig into God's word today in Romans chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 9 and then follow on through the end of the chapter. I believe there's a specific word for us today from the Lord here. And I hope that if you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me there. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, and together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we come before you this day thankful for your holy word and for the, the wisdom contained therein. We're thankful that you have a word that meets us in the midst of the challenges uh, we face today. Lord, grant us wisdom uh, to trust in you and to trust in your word as we seek you out in these moments. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word and your will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would, in response to your love, offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I had a unique opportunity to uh, be, participate in a learning cohort of some extraordinary pastoral leaders uh, from across uh, the central United States. We went on a trip for this learning experience to Los Angeles, uh, where we were encountering some extraordinary ministries uh, and inviting uh, the wisdom of those settings to, uh, to breathe life into our own ministries and to do that in, in a cohort. Uh, what a gift it was. We went to one particular uh, setting uh, that's Dolores Mission, it's a Roman Catholic uh, 
uh, mission, and it has uh, it's serviced by Jesuit priests. It's in Boyle Heights, uh, which in the in the eighties and nineties was the most densely populated gang presence in all of Los Angeles, which obviously also means that it had some of the most dense population of gang presence in the United States of America. And in that setting, you find Dolores Mission. And uh, Father Ted, Jesuit priest. Now, Father Ted is, is this a big personality with beard uh, to match and storytelling uh, uh, aficionado. And, and, and when we walked into Dolores Mission, I was struck by the simplicity of the space. I don't know why. I, I didn't think before I went there what to expect. But it was a very simple room. Uh, just a, a small body with 16 pews on either side, uh, stucco walls probably covering up cinder blocks, uh, and um, the, the setting did not have some of the ornate tapestry that you would expect from a, a Catholic space. But there was, uh, there was an opportunity for Father Ted to, to walk us through the space and give us a tour, and whenever that moment came, I was like, tour of what? Like, this is like, it's all here. I could see it all. Uh, but I had failed to look closely enough because the first thing that Father Ted pointed out was the crucifix that was on the wall behind the altar. As you could see, this crucifix is not uh, the, the normal, simple, wooden crucifix uh, that you would find in a Catholic church uh, with, with Jesus there still on the cross. Uh, but if you look closely, you would see that there is a depiction of Jesus hung on a tree, tied and bound. You, you would also notice that this is a very beautiful cross, that, that there's, there's art and there's uh, activity all over in every, every, every corner of the cross. And so we began to hear the story of this cross. Father Ted told us, that this was a gift to, to one of the priests at Dolores Mission who had a collaborative relationship, as most of them do, with uh, the country of El, Sa El Salvador. Uh, priests from Dolores Mission will go to El Salvador for one, two, three years and return, and they will go back and forth. Now, the history books just kind of recall with me, El Salvador in the, in the 80s and early 90s was at civil war. I mean, it was a brutal conflict. And uh, you might also remember that the Jesuit priests were a part of the target of the conflict. Oscar Romero, archbishop, was killed in El Salvador, speaking out against the injustices of the war. And so when you have this cross coming from El Salvador, it comes with that heritage as well. It is colorful and alive and it testifies to the goodness of God even in the midst of that struggle and strife. And then you look and you see represented in the cross, on the left arm of the cross, something that you and I might not have ever seen in a cross. If you look closely enough, you'll notice there are attack helicopters bombing a village on the left arm of this cross. And as the village is being torn by war and devastation, 
you see just below, maybe you'll notice in green on the road from the village, that's a woman, and in front of her are children, as the most vulnerable are praying, are paying some of the most heinous prices of this war. And then below that, uh, you see that there is a, a river, and the river flows from left all the way to right through uh, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And and what on the left hand side uh, bears witness to destruction, devastation, war torn land. On the right, you see a picture of a teeming river that 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 uh, that is providing sustenance and life for the entire community. And you see a village that's healthy and thriving, flourishing. In fact, a harvest that's being reaped, and that's on the right-hand side of this, this cross. And, and, and that makes sense to me, that there, there was something natural about that movement of transition through Jesus. Uh, and, and that was powerful because it uh, exemplifies uh, Ezekiel's prophecy of this river of life flowing from uh, the temple of Almighty God, so that even the Dead Sea uh, that, that bears no life will now teem with life and flourishing. What a beautiful image. But I, I, I missed something, even as Father Ted was walking us through this beautiful rendering of the gospel. On that left arm, below the war-torn village, Below the river, you see a reflection, an inverse reality to the war above. Father Ted began to share with us some of the, the, the cultural folklore of, uh, of the people of El Salvador. You, you see, El Salvador has both the, the Christian tradition, the native tradition, and some of their lore uh, overlaps and then is adopted because there is gospel witness to be found in it, thriving understanding of who Jesus is and what God is calling us to. You see, that mirror, that, 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 that village that's war-torn and the village that is healthy and whole exemplifies the reality that whenever we are at war, whenever violence is being known and harm being caused upon God's people, that is an upside-down world. That is not the world that God desires and intends for his children to live in. God desires shalom. God is shalom and brings shalom to all who seek him. And yet there's war and devastation still. That's upside down. That's not right side up. And in the lore of El Salvador, there is, there is a heroic figure that emerges from this upside down village. And as he, as he uh, recognizes how upside down things are, he begins to stomp. And, and he just starts stomping. And then he leads his village in a stomp so that the moorings and the foundation of the very world begin to rattle and shake until the upside down world we live in begins to tremble and it turns right side up and shalom is known yet again. Man. What would it be for us 
to look at the world we live in and see how upside down things are. And to lead a stomp that would shake it back into right-sided position. I've been wondering, pondering, what is the song, the rhythm, the refrain that leads the stomp? What is it that, that I can come around, that we can come around, that we could hear in concert together so that our stomp would be so effective and coordinated that, that, that it would have effect and flourishing would be the outcome? And as I pondered that, the Lord led me to this text that we arrive at today in Romans chapter 12. And I believe that there are, are, are certain elements of Romans 12 that lead us into the day, the days that we find ourselves in now. And might provide us some common chorus to walk through. Now, I know when Paul writes in Romans 12, uh, the, 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 the rhythm, the cadence can be uh, quite jarring because he's, he's hitting us with wisdom sentence by sentence, one after another. And, and we fail at times to, to see how this is a holistic presentation of a right-sided world. And so uh, we're going to walk through a, a, a few different elements of this text that will invite us further in to God's kingdom reorientation work. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to take them back out. We're going to uh, highlight a few things that, 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 that I believe are relevant to where we are today. The first is in the opening verse that we read in verse 9, and that is, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, this might resonate for some of you who were with us uh, just over a month ago when Avery Crowley preached a tremendous message and used this as, as the foundation for what we were dealing with together. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. But, but first, love what is, uh, let your love be sincere. I believe that, that some of our headings might say that this passage is entitled Love in Action. Uh, I want to... to to present for you an alternative view that this might better be love persevering. Love persevering because it describes some of the challenges that we face when we're trying to love in this broken and torn world. And so it opens that it must be sincere, sincere love just just uh, permeating one's being such that it can carry us forward through the challenges of life. And then it says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate what is evil. I think that, that, that this draws for us a clear need to, to share that, that there is good and evil in the world. And, and uh, it, it uh, counters the argument that has become the postmodern cultural norm that, that, that relativism defines uh, is define, uh, allows good and evil to be defined by each individual. And so your good is your good and your evil is your evil and it cannot be truth. Well, that's gobbledygook. It does not work. Truth 
displays for us that there is good and there is evil. And we're called to cling, hold fast to that good. And we're called to hate evil. I, I think that this, this hate uh, reflects for me what we say in the profession of faith, that we're going to renounce spiritual forces of wickedness, reject evil powers, powers of this world, and repent of our sin. That, that, that This renouncing correlates with the word announce, that we're going to actively speak against evil. We're not going to grow complacent. We're not going to sit silent. We're not going to become observers of evil. Rather, we're going to actively engage our world to speak out against it. And I'm here to tell you today that what Putin has done by invading the Ukraine is evil. And we need to speak that truth Because the harm that is being caused, not only to the citizens of the Ukraine, but to the stability of our global peace and the people uh, that are the most vulnerable in Russia, all of it is causing harm. There is no good here. We should hate this evil and in that hate be willing to speak out and say it. To not grow so comfortable in the distance we have from this war-torn reality that, that allows us to ignore it. But we should speak and speak truth. Because in that truth there is life. Because in it we cling to goodness. We cling to God. We must allow that hate to lead us to action. A will to speak out against it. Maybe that's the chorus, that sincere love requires action, speech against hate, all in the effort to cling to God's goodness. But then we turn together to verse 12. I feel that these three statements each Individually could be a sermon unto themselves, but they all invite us to connect more deeply with the realities of the moment and the realities of our world. In verse 12, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Over the last week, there has been uh, a renewed or maybe accentuated anxiety and fear that has begun to seep into our global mindset. This concern that we have uh, the, the right uh, frame of mind to consider potential of global impact. And that anxiety and that fear uh, begins to settle in. But, but that's not where we're called to sit or to stay this says we are called to be joyful in hope. Now, now how, how challenging is that when anxiety and fear sink in that we are called to transform that, to be transformed by God's love into a position of hope that, that this fear and anxiety is upside down, not right side up. And that hope is God's, God's position in the midst of trauma and turmoil. And that hope brings us to a, a place of joy that we can actually celebrate it. That even when things are hard, we could celebrate the hope we have in the power of Jesus Christ. 
Let us be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. I wonder if that's just easy for me to say. Patient in affliction. Think about the vulnerable in the Ukraine, those who were not able to find their way across borders as refugees who now sit in cities that deal with with bomb sirens, who hear uh, gunshots on their streets, who, who uh, fear for their lives, who are, experience, are experiencing affliction that I do not know, and yet God's word says be patient in affliction. How is this possible? It's because of that thread that binds these three statements together that we are to be faithful in prayer. That our fidelity to God, to trust in him, to come to him with all of our fears and all of our doubts, in all of our weaknesses, knowing that we have an empathetic, empathetic Savior that, that, that can meet us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trauma. And in so doing, we now find peace. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. May it be so in us. Verse 13 is a, is a call to action, one that I find quite challenging today. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Some of you might not know, but uh, the Ukraine and Russia both have uh, flourishing Christian communities. Uh, in the Ukraine specifically, there's a boom of evangelism as more and more are, are learning who Jesus is and what his love has done for them. And, and whenever I think about our sisters and brothers, the Lord's people in need, I, I wish I knew ways that we could help share with those people. And I want you to know that while I have not yet found a, a, a means or mechanism through which I believe that, that that could be effectively done, I am searching for that. And whenever I find it, I will share it with you because this is God's call on our lives that we are to share with the Lord's people in need. That we must enter into a posture of activity on the Lord's behalf in the world. And then one of the most challenging verses of this entire text Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. When thinking of the evil that's being perpetrated on the global scale through the act of war that Putin has committed and thinking about scriptures entreaty to us that we would bless him and not curse him. What could that look like? I've been seeking the Lord's face on this, trying to humbly humbly just hear uh, hear from the Spirit in response to my own groanings. You know, the, the, the Scriptures say that whenever we don't have words, uh, we, we have a groaning of the Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit advocates on our behalf. I've just been groaning a little bit because I don't know how to bless Putin right now. And here's what I've heard from the Spirit. I've heard from the Spirit uh, a word of 
of even Nebuchadnezzar was touched by the power of God. That, that, that if, if, if we are to, are to bless, we are to bless with godly wisdom. We're to bless with godly conviction. We're to bless with a, a desire after Christ. We're to bless with, with salvation. We're to bless with transformation that leads to repentance. We're to bless with a call from within that, that makes peace possible through him. Not a curse, but a blessing that God's power would be known in his life so that he would cease this violence and repent from his evil ways. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Maybe that's the bridge of this stomp song for us. Maybe it's one of blessing even in the most challenging trial that can ever be faced. Finally, I want to place before you the reason why I believe the Lord called my attention to this passage of Scripture. It's in verse 18. And it's a call for each of us. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. I believe that this scripture points to, uh, to the reality of this world that, that it is not always possible and it does not always depend on you because though there are those in this world that, that, that thrive or desire power from an upside down situation and, and those who would strive after a right-sided kingdom of heaven on the earth sort of a world that, that, that we have work to do, that we continue striving to, to, to seeing that the impossible be made possible to seeing that, that, that our efforts will be a striving after peace in every way that we know how, and yet war still comes. There is a double qualifier to this call, that we would be at peace with everyone. That it's as much as we can do and as much as we can make possible. But even if war comes, everything else that we just dealt with is our guide. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in a time of weakness, in a time of turmoil, in a time of war. And as war has come to Ukraine and threatens, uh, and we feel the threat of it spilling over beyond the bounds of that nation, Lord, we, we, we come and we seek God's face that we might be advocates for peace, that we might be so deeply engaged in God's work that we cannot be silent, that we will be heard that we will seek the Lord in prayer and that his heart would be our heart for all of God's people.
This war is evil. How will the people of God across the world respond? I pray that we might hear a song welling up within, echoing from the scriptures, leading us to stomp. That as the stomp begins to echo in our souls, it would echo in the world and the moorings, the foundations of this earth would be flipped right side up and devastation would be no more and we would know peace. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we come before you thankful for your word, which is our holy guide. It is truth. It is love. And so we come before you, O oh God, and the, the, the prayers that, that, all, that, that, that is on all of our hearts is a prayer for our world. And so uh, we pause in a moment of silence to lift up uh, the war that we are witnessing that is being waged. And we ask, O oh God, specifically for provision, security, and peace for the most vulnerable in the Ukraine and in Russia. We lift up this prayer together. Now, God, we join in unison in praying uh, with, with our hearts full of your spirit for all of our global leaders that you would, uh, that you would grant them wisdom and strength, uh, discernment, so that they would know how to act according to your will, so that their actions would bring about a global peace. Finally, O oh Lord, we pray a blessing of conviction, of repentance, of transformation for Putin, that he would, that, that he would be transformed by your love and in so doing cease this heinous act. Lord, we lift him up before you. Lord, we look out on our world, not only in the war that wages, but also in the dividing walls of hostility that, that, that uh, have been uh, erected around us. Lord, we pray that they would be torn down, that, that we would be peacemakers, that we, would, that we would work and act in the world as your servants so that, uh, that, that love would be sincere and sincerely felt among all of your children. Lord, we thank you for your work in us and amongst us. And we ask, oh God, that you would guide us in these times. That you would walk before us, 
that you would fill us and that you would protect us. We pray all of this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.